while they're going in, I want you to be seated. I was thinking about something. I don't always do this, but I feel like there's people here today, there's somebody watching this today who really needs to hear that Jesus, the power's power in the name of Jesus to break the chains that are binding them. There's people here today who are bound up in literal chains. They came here, they got dressed up, they look nice, they got the kids all together, but they literally have these, you can't see them, but they're chains of unforgiveness, there's chains of bitterness, there's chains of lust, there's chains of pride, apathy, there's teenagers with chains of rebellion that are on them, and it's like they're carrying them. And it's like it's keeping them from being everything that God wants them to be. And so I, I want us to just think today for a minute before we jump into today's message that, and pray as I pray that, that you're going to release some of these chains you're carrying. Somebody watching this, there's people who are watching this there in their living room right now, or they're sitting on an Apple computer, or they're sitting at a desktop, or they're watching this on their phone, and they know what I'm talking about because the chains of all this are weighing them down. Look, you don't have to carry them. Jesus said, cast all these burdens on me, and I'll help you. But how often do we do what? And look, I, I know it's true because I'm a preacher and do it. I have chains of unforgiveness and challenges and relationships and finances and all these things that are going on in my life. And guess what? I got to come on Sunday. I got to come. I got to get here early. I got to smile. I got to shake hands. And you may not know it, but guess what? They're real, just like they're real for you. But guess what? I get a chance, just like you get a chance, to lay those figuratively at the altar and say, God, in the power in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to let these go today. And I don't want to carry these no more. And I want to lay them at the feet of the great I am. Man, if we could do that today, it'd be unbelievable. And that's what I hope and pray. So I want you to bow with me. Maybe, maybe you're not feeling the power of those chains. Well, guess what? You're called to help somebody else release theirs. And so I want you to pray in faith for whoever needs to hear this today. Dear Jesus, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, your name the name of the living incarnate Son of God, the great I Am, that you would help those who are struggling today to break free from the chains that are holding them back, from the chains of unforgiveness, from the chains of apathy, from the chains of laziness, bitterness, rebellion, whatever it is that they're facing and it's, that's holding them down that is not from you. We pray against that in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray for each person here today, each person who's watching this, to have the power and the strength in the, of their soul to cry out to you, the one that can release them from this bondage that they face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you're able to do that today. As we look today, part of how we break these chains and we grow and we learn is by looking at his word. And so as we think about what his word has to say to us about the season of Christmas. And so we're going to be looking today at another one of the purposes or one of the things about Christmas. We talked last week a little bit about one of the purposes of Christmas was to celebrate the fact that God was now with us. You will remember, I talked to our boys and girls for just a minute, about the fact that, that there are lots of different purposes 
So you can't just say there's one purpose to Christmas or that, that there's, you know, but, but something as big as Christmas has many purposes. And we're starting to see some of those. You know, one of the things is we get together and we have Christmas parades. We have family gatherings. We have all these different things. But there is ultimately a higher purpose, and that is what we find in the Scriptures. And so we're going to look at one of those purposes today. We're going to read a smaller section from the same passage that we read last week because it's the basic material that describes to us the birth of Jesus on the earth. Some have asked me, and just so you'll know, it, may, it most likely was not um, December the 25th when this happened, okay? So don't, don't get confused there. It was probably sometime in the spring if you can go by the Jewish calendar. But ultimately what happened was the church Mate was creating um, a calendar of different types of events and celebrations, and this date was chosen, and so it's kind of become part of when we celebrate um, the birth of Christ into the world. I want to invite you to stand with me, if you would, as we just read seven passages together from Luke chapter 2, starting in verses 8. And it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. May God bless the public reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, boys and girls, you wonder why we sing songs like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You see where it comes from? It's a reminder and a reference back to this story. Whenever um, <clears throat> Jesus came to the earth, we talked last week about the purpose of Christmas. And we're going to be talking about that not just last week, this week, and next week, just three type things. But if you remember, we talked about that there was a celebration of the fact that God was with us, and that leads us to today's description, something I want us to think about, which is one of the other purposes of Christmas, is that Christmas is part of God's salvation plan. Now, <clears throat> You hear people make a statement like the true meaning of Christmas and you hear the real meaning of Christmas and all of those are attempts at a, for, of, of ours to try to you know, kind of point at that higher purpose. Certainly there's value to a lot of the different things that happen at Christmas. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with using that event and creating an, a holiday and a celebration you know, because that's the way the whole world works. You can, you can take everything in the world and you can make it used for good or for bad. Anything out there in the world can be used for good or bad. It's how you choose to frame it, how you choose to use it. And so I think it's appropriate for us to, to have our celebrations and to, to have traditions. And you know, the problem is we just don't want to make those traditions and those celebrations and those activities more important maybe than what the main thing is. And so, so I think that it, it's very important to do that, but to remember that ultimately Christmas, this idea that Jesus comes to the earth that's captured in this particular passage is part of God's salvation plan. That was his plan, the Bible tells us, from the beginning 
to bring about the salvation of humanity. And this is where um, the Christmas story gets very interesting. Now, before we jump into some of the things I'd like to talk about with that, I'd like to point out something. You know, the older I get, I don't know if any of you have this happen. I don't know if I'm forgetting things, and so when I hear them again, I think I'm learning them for the first time. It's very possible, so I don't know that, but, but I, was, I was reading <clears throat> something this week that I wanted to point out, and I may have known it before, but, but it was brand new. It's kind of like my grandmother, uh, some of you remember, she used to have a handful of books uh, on her um, nightstand. She was in her 90s, and I'd say, Grandma, you want me to get you a new book? She's like, no, I just keep rereading these because I can't remember what I read. They all, they sound, they're just as good the next time around. So I can't say that I, you know, so if I've ever told you this before, I knew it. It's, it's not intentional, all right? But, but I was reading that about what, kind of the little, how, how God uses the traditions and the things that go on in the world and all, all of that's part of his plan. So in, in the ancient times, especially in that particular time period with um, the Jewish people, one of the things that they did is when a son was born... There was, this, there was this tradition that a group of the musicians and singers from the town, guess what they did? They came out to the people's house outside when the sun was born, and they sang. They had like a little, a little, little mini little concert in celebration of the birth of this child. That was something that they all knew about. That's what happened. And so I thought, man, that's interesting, right? So in the midst of a little, you know, kind of tradition like that, what does God do? They were in Bethlehem, we know, because of what? They had to go there to be taxed. Their family wasn't around. There was nobody there to sing for them. So what does God do? He uses the angels to come and announce that birth. And I just thought, man, that's a cool little thing, is that God's always doing little things in our lives to to help us. You know, you think about Mary. You know, maybe Mary was disappointed. Man, you know, I'm having this child on the road in a place where the people that I love aren't around me. And and all the disappointment that could have been involved with that. And here God does something just just special. Like, hey, let's do this to remind her. And so I thought that's cool. God does that. And he's constantly doing that in our lives if we're watching, if we're listening, if we're observing what he's really doing. And I want to encourage you, as you think about this Christmas season, there's so many things about the Christmas story that if you think about and you read, and that's why I want to challenge some of you who are readers, maybe go to the Internet. Go and just type in some of the significance of the, of the Christmas story about the shepherds and the lamb and, and all that these were probably the sacrificial lambs. There's lots of cool little things that will remind you of how God works His plan throughout our lives. And it's, it's may, it may encourage you. But as we look today at how this is part of God's salvation plan, that Christmas really is is an integral part of that. I want us to do a couple of things. The first thing I want us to do is we're going to look at three of the words that are used to describe Jesus in in verse 11, which is really the the description of Jesus coming to the earth. It's very simple. It says, what the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. There's three words that the angels, so we know this is not, this is the angel's description of baby Jesus, all right? And I think that there's some things that we can learn as we look at the words that are used to describe Jesus. What he says first, Savior, Messiah, Lord. Now I'm going to change the order just for the sake of my little talk today because I want to talk about him in a different order. And the first one that I want to look at here is 
the, the first word used to describe baby Jesus by the angels was the word Messiah. Now, I'm going to teach some of you something. Some people think that Jesus' first name was what? Jesus, and I've heard people say his last name was Christ. Okay, that's not correct. All right, so um, Jesus Christ is really a reference to Jesus the Messiah. The word Messiah is just the Greek translation of the word Messiah. Christ is the Greek translation of the word Messiah. So when you hear people say that, you know, it's not, his name's not Jesus Christ. It's technically Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah or Jesus very literally the anointed one, which is what the word Messiah means, is the anointed one. Now, this is a direct reference to a whole lot of biblical passages that we find from the very beginning, but a couple of them that are, that are interesting that we want to bring out here when we think about this idea of Messiah is in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The prophet Isaiah is writing hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, okay? You've heard the term messianic prophecies, okay? What that is, is these are prophecies that were recorded long before Jesus' birth that refer to the Messiah, hence the term messianic, okay? And so one of those is this. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, anointing is this idea that he has been chosen. He has been selected. He has been empowered. It's a very rich word that has a lot of meaning. So Jesus, the fact that the angel calls him the Messiah to the Jewish people is going to be, okay, man, this means that he has been anointed, chosen, selected for a special purpose by God. And if you remember in John chapter 1, way back whenever the first disciples were selected. You remember there were some brothers and they were fishermen and things of that nature. But if you go back to verse 41, look at what the response to some of the disciples were. It says, he first found his brother Simon, which was Peter, and he said to him, we have found who? The Messiah. So they even knew at this point that, look, this was the Christ or the Messiah, which is the same thing, the anointed one. Now, when you think about a term like Messiah, anointed, chosen, selected, it really answers a couple of questions that I think are very important to us. Maybe that we wonder what people still wonder today. And the first of those questions really is, who was Jesus? I mean, who was Jesus? Anybody from any tradition, from any religion, from any part of the world has to recognize that Jesus from Nazareth was a very important historical figure. I mean, if you every time you write the date on a calendar, the frame of reference, the year is before and after that, okay? So, I mean, look at many of the laws that are out there based on the particular ethics that are there. So, so he's this important figure, but not everyone agrees with who Jesus was. It's the biblical position and the position of Orthodox Christianity that Jesus literally was the anointed Messiah from God. And it takes a twist because as you study, you realize, wow, he wasn't just from God, he was God. And that leads us to this idea of who was Jesus? 
who sent Jesus. And so the story of Christmas, the story of God's salvation plan is birthed in the reality that God is the initiator of the action here. He was selected. He was chosen, which is different from what most of us like to think, especially in the world today, is we tend to think of the, the main character in the story as being ourselves. What did I do? How, what is my role? And all those kind of things. Look, in God's salvation plan, the main character in the story is Jesus. God is the initiator. It's not necessarily by your choice. We're going to talk about that. You have a role to play. I have a role to play. But the initiator of the action, this, this Jesus character, this Jesus person was God's anointed servant. Very literally, God incarnate. You see that on churches, the incarnate word? What does that mean? That's God in flesh as Jesus, this Messiah, this anointed one. Now the second word that we see that we're going to look at is actually the first one that was listed is that used to describe Jesus is the Savior. All right? The angel declares through the, to the shepherds that Jesus is the Savior. Now, what does that mean? All right? That means, very simpler, the deliverer, the rescuer, the preserver. The Bible's full of scriptural references that help us understand that, that describe it further. John chapter 4, verses 42, it says, This is whenever the Samaritans met Jesus with the woman of the well. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And what did they come to understand? That this man, Jesus, really is the Savior of the world. Somehow in their encounter, these people had come to understand that He was truly the Savior of the world. The writer in 1 John 4 verse 14 says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to what? To be the Savior of the world. So this is a part of God's salvation plan, is that Jesus, the anointed, chosen, selected one, has come to be the Savior of the world. Now, when we think about a term or a concept like Savior, we have to first ask ourselves a question, and that is, what do we need saving from? You see, a Savior comes to help, to rescue, to deliver. And you can't get delivered or rescued or saved if you don't know that you're lost or that you're bound up or whatever. And so this has been one of the challenges of the world, right? Is the world directed by the forces of darkness seek to say, oh, you're okay. You don't need to be saved. You don't need to be delivered or preserved. You're okay if you just, and you can fill in the blank, learn enough, grow enough, do enough, whatever. But no, humanity is in need of salvation and deliverance. And this answers the question primarily, why did Jesus come? We find out who He was. He was the anointed servant of God, the anointed Son of God, the Messiah. He's the Savior the deliverer, the rescuer. 
And this points to why he comes to the world, to save the world. Now, what does a phrase like save the world mean? I mean, typically when we hear that, my mind goes to a Superman or something like that, right? You know, I mean, a scene from a movie to save the world from impending destruction. And you know what? There is an element to that. Ultimately, this entire world from the beginning is moving toward destruction. We see it in nature. Look, every generation we see the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of, the, of everything just continue to get worse and worse. But guess what? God is in the business of saving that. Think about the good things of the world, like the advances, most of them in medicine, the advances in human development, things of that nature. You know, most of those things throughout history have been driven by people in the church, people who thought about God. You know, it's one of the great ironies to me that, that it's just in the last couple of generations where we've tried to see, and, and, and if you use this word, divorce, um, the people of God from those who are really making the world a better place. You know, today, you know, scientists and inventors and things like that have tried to kind of move away from God. But throughout all of human history, those were the people who were most connected to God and to the church, those who were educated, those who learned. Now, of course, like anything else, now people are too educated. They're enlightened beyond any wisdom, which we all met people, right, who have all this knowledge they have no wisdom. They don't know how to apply it. And so they ultimately have gotten to the point where, oh, we don't need God. We don't need any sort of salvation. I mean, salvation in the world's mind today is found where? In yourself. In your ability to do whatever. But God says salvation is found through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we know this if we're honest and we look, we look at the world. I mean, we look at the world and we see how broken it is. All you got to do is turn on the news. Turn on the news and see what's happening, not just in the city streets, but what's happening with people, how they treat others, how they spend their money, what they do, the governments, things of those nature. I mean, look, look the world is broken. I mean, it's in need of deliverance. And God is actively involved in delivering the world through Jesus in two ways. The first one is, is literally by when he lived here, he taught us how to live. Think about this for a second. If everybody tried to live with the ethic and the morality that Jesus taught when he was here, think about how much better the world would be. Think about how much better any part of your life would be is if everyone treated others kindly. If they lived out the golden rule. If they were gracious, kind, loving. Man, this would make the world a better place. And then there are times and moments in life where it very literally has made the world a better place. You realize that as bad as we kind of sometimes seem to think it is, this is still a good, great world. Look, I was thinking about that this, this, this Friday night, all right? We live in a great, in a great community, in my opinion, in a, in, a great, in a great country. I mean, you know, you had 90-something people who, who, uh, who got together and they made them up a float, 
You know what I'm saying? And they're, they're going out there and they're playing music and people are excited and they're happy. There's people throwing candy. Kids are excited to get candy. You know, you're not worried about really whether, for the most part, somebody's going to do something, you know, go out there and kill you. They're going to steal everything you have. No, I mean, and this is how it should work, right? As people do the right things, as they live the right way, think in the right ways and start acting in the right ways. And look, when you see that, it's like, man, that's awesome. You see people who volunteer, who serve, who do all sorts of things. But of course, the second part of it is you have to have the salvation because the world's broken. Because even in that, somebody's going to do what? Somebody's going to go crazy. Somebody's going to do something they shouldn't. Some little kid is going to take some other little kid's candy. Why? Because they want it more. Some parents are going to holler and argue and cuss at each other because they're mad because whatever. Some people are going to go do things they shouldn't do after it's over. Some people are going to do drugs. You know why? Because even in our best efforts, deep inside, humanity's broken. It's broken. It's sin. And we can't help it. And we fight against it. And the only solution, the only solution is the Savior of the world. Right there. The good news, however, is that when we surrender ourselves to the Savior, guess what? We now can begin to fight in a more successful way against those Demons that live within us, that cause us to want to take from others, that cause us to want to have more, to cause grief, to do all of those things like that. You know, what the songs say? You know, there are no, you know, the great I am is more powerful than any of these challenges and these demons and all the things that we face. Look, why did Jesus come? He came to show us, to help us literally save the world by doing right, living right, being a better person. And those are all very important. But look, those can only get us so far because ultimately humanity's broken and so we need the Savior. He came to offer every one of us forgiveness of our sins. I mean, this Christmas season, maybe you're watching this or you're listening to it recorded. I hope that you would trust the Savior. Maybe this Christmas you would say, you know what? I know deep inside there's something wrong. And I've never asked Christ to deliver me from my sins. You know, the Christian expression of that is to do what? To confess with your mouth, to believe in your heart, and then to be baptized in water to demonstrate your faith in Christ. Maybe this Christmas season would be an awesome time for you to do that. I want to encourage you. If that's in your heart, get with me. If you don't feel comfortable right here, you, you can send us a direct message, me or Todd. You know, we're not going to blast it out on the, you know, through there, but we'd love to talk with you about that. Look, why Jesus came, you don't want to miss the real reason why he came. And that is the reason that he came. Now, there's another word that's going to help us as we close that's used to describe the baby Jesus here in the particular passage. And look, that word is Lord. So he describes Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one. 
He describes him as the Savior. And then the last description here, which is very unique because it's a baby. All right, so this one here is a, it's a, it's a baby, and he uses the term Lord, and the, Lord, the word Lord in Greek is kyrios, which literally means master or owner. So we've got to kind of unpack this for a minute. We're like, why does he describe the baby as a master or the owner? Because this goes to what his role is going to be. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that gives us some explanation of this. He says, What for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things and we exist for Him, and what? One Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom all are all things and we exist through. One Lord, one Master, one Owner. So here's the deal. This helps us understand, and this cuts cross green 100% with today's world. But it's not just today's world. You see, the entire history of humanity has been the multiplicity of gods. The God of thunder, the God of war, the God of this. This is humanity. And it's just all humanity because humanity has tended to create a God from something that they didn't understand, but oftentimes it was to accomplish something that they wanted. And Jesus comes into the world, and He is the one Lord, Master of everything. And this is difficult, because the Lord, the Master, gets to do what? He gets to decide. This is the authority by which Jesus says, Obey me. Follow my teachings. See, too many of us, you've heard me say this before, we want to embrace the Savior because we want deliverance. We want to be rescued. But man, we don't want to get signed up for the Lord part because the Lord part is the master part that says, hey, you got to do this. You need to go there. You need to stop doing this. You need to live a certain way. Hold on, I don't know if I'm ready to sign up for that, right? Because now it affects how I live. And too many people erroneously, mistakenly think that being a Christian is to go to a church or to watch something on TV or to do a certain set of things and then just go live however you want to. This is not the case. This is not authentic true Christianity. Christianity says, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen Savior of the world. But in that role, guess what? He gets to be the Lord, the Master. Now, the good news is he's not an evil, terrible taskmaster. Man, he is a loving, fulfilling, wonderful Master who only wants our best. But ultimately, he is the Lord nonetheless. You're not your own God. You don't get to make your own choices. Now, the older we get, the more mature we are. We should be beginning to make better choices. But ultimately, we're supposed to surrender our will to His will and bow to His commands. Now, we, we get to do that here if we trust in Jesus. But make no mistake about it. God is not mocked. The Bible tells us at the end of all of this, Listen to what the Apostle Paul says when he's talking about Jesus the Lord. He says, For this reason also God highly exalted Him 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You realize that one day, every person who's ever lived will bow the knee and will confess. How terrible will it be to have to be forced to submission? And unfortunately, as the writer Bob quoted last week, C.S. Lewis says, and I tend to agree, that some people will be so bound up in pride, so bound up in the belief that they are their own God and that they make their own choices, that even in the face of that, will choose to reject God from the very, to the very end. Wow. I don't know about you, but I want to I want to bow my knee now. I literally want to say, God, I trust you. Whether that means a literal bowing of the knee, whether that means to get baptized, whether that means to let go of this, to take on that, to do whatever, to surrender to Jesus as the Lord. You know, Jesus' role as Lord is unique in this time. He was a baby. We talked about it last week. He's with us. It's unlike any other king. It's unlike any other situation that anybody else would describe. If you were going to make people and force them into submission and be the Lord in your mind, you'd go about it a whole different path. But that's not the path God chooses through Jesus. Chooses through Jesus. No, it's, it's a willing submission to his lordship. He's not going to make you. Which is troubling because we do what? We see humanity continues to make wrong choices. We see ourselves continue to make wrong choices. You ever made wrong choices and you know you're making them? Sometimes you make them, you, you want to quit making them. Or you, you, you know that you should be doing something, but you just, I'm not doing it. You know, why? Because we're battling this. Because we are in this literal battle of who's going to control our life. And usually, what do we do? We let our own ego and our own pride win. Which is why many people who are truly Christians are what? Miserable people. They're constantly feeling guilty because what? They can't surrender. And people who don't even know Jesus are even more miserable. Go to the funeral home or go, go to, a, to the burial service of someone who snubbed their nose at God. You want to see real people who are distraught, questioning, wondering, because they've never even turned to God. See, Jesus' role was Messiah, Savior, and Lord. As we close today, I ask you this question as I ask myself, what is my role? You know, if, if this is 
what Jesus' role was to function as the Messiah, the Savior, and the Lord. And that's what we celebrate this time of year. And we'll be doing that for the next few weeks. What is my role? How do I connect with what God is showing me? Well, I think there's a lot of ways. Number one, we could tell other people about Him. You know, we could share the message of who He is. Certainly, if we've never embraced Him as our Savior, that would be a great way to (laughs) properly respond. But for many of us, we might say, hey, look, I've kind of been usurping some of His role in my life. I've been wanting to be in the driver's seat of what I'm doing, making all the decisions, guiding the direction. Maybe my role would now be to just step back a second and say, God, why don't you lead me? Why don't you show me where I need to go, what I need to do? How much better would your life be, just your own personal life, if you said, you know what, I'm going to step back for a minute and I'm going to let God, through Jesus, be my Lord. Man, isn't it ironic? When we're serious and we're thoughtful, we know no one, really is going to say, that'd be terrible. (laughs) That's not going to go well. No. We know it would go well. Really, if you're sitting here, you're like, you know what? I I know in my mind that that, that my life would be better. Things would go much better if I would let God kind of direct what I'm doing. But everything within us and around us is telling us what? Keep control. It's a challenge. It's the battle. Even Paul faced it. And that's why we need to declare our faith in Jesus, why we need to come to church, why we need to sing songs, why we need to pray, why we need to ask God to help us. Because guess what? Sometimes we're fighting against a tide that's within us and a tide that's without us that's all pushing us away from the very thing we know we should do. But guess what? God knew it. And that's why. And I'm so grateful that in spite of all of that, He loves us. He understands us. And He's there for us. I hope and pray that as you continue to prepare for the Christmas season in your world, that you'll remember the more of your life that you surrender to Him as Lord, the better things are going to be. And if you ever wonder... Because in this world, we're full of doubts, questions, confusions. Mixed messages, we get them from all around. The one thing that should solidify your belief and understanding that God loves you, that He's for you, and that He has a plan that's good for you is by remembering what He did on the cross. He was willing literally to give everything so that you and I could be right with God. As we partake of our communion today, Miss Linda will play. And this will be our time of reflection where you can think a little bit. I've joked around some, all the discussions about vaccines and all this other kind of stuff, and I've heard multiple people say this. 
times. You want to get people not to do something, tell them they have to do it. Have you ever noticed that's how people are? If you tell them they got to do something, a certain amount of people are just going to be like, no. That's just human nature. Some people just, if you tell them to do anything, they're going to say no. But what, that's why if you tell people that they need God, how you need God, I don't need anything. I'm, they want to do what they want to do. Well, let me ask you this. Would a person with the wrong motivation, would a person who didn't have your best intention, would he allow himself to be crucified on a cross, allow people to spit in his face, pluck his beard out, and never even call down the power he had, but follow through in obedience? Would he do that for any other motivation than what? Love. No other motivation. So when you think about embracing Jesus as your Savior and Lord, remember that the motivation that he had was driven by his love for you. And everything that he wants you to do, the things that he wants you to let go of, the things that he wants you to pick up, the places he wants you to go, the places he wants you to stop going, those are not coming from a place that says, hey, I want to control you because I'm important. It's coming from a place that says, hey, I'm willing to give everything for you and I want you to have everything that God's created for you and I want you to literally have perfect peace, harmony, and goodness in your life. And that's, he was willing to give it all his very life for that. And so I hope and pray that you and I will remember when we come to these decisions in our life and we literally have to decide whether to choose what we want to do or what he's asked us to do. Who do we trust more? Do we really trust ourselves? Think about your own mind. Isn't your mind sometimes a little wrong? Do you ever get a little off track? Do you ever think incorrectly, have wrong perceptions? Do you ever get a little bit off? We all do. It's the nature of our lives. But guess what? God doesn't. And so when we are confronted with those options, let's embrace His choice, His direction. Man, it will make all the difference. Let's pray. Fathers, we partake of these elements today. May we remember that your deep desire for us as our Messiah, Savior, and Lord comes from a place of the deepest love and care and concern. Help us to embrace your ways, not because we have got to, but because we get to in response to what you have done for us.